You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. My name is Kara Zorel. 24 years ago, my planet, Krypton, was in serious peril. My cousin, Kalel, was sent to a planet called Earth for his own safety and protection. You may know his story. The story you don't know is that I was sent to protect him. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole where I am super excited to jump into tonight. We have some fun things to talk about and I'm I'm really I'm always so impressed by who Ruby is able to get into this sh- episodes. Uh, you know, she calls people up, she makes the reservations and I well, and that's not really how it works. She really just is. lets us show up and record and uh, serves up great drinks. So, uh, well, tonight we are going to be talking about the premiere of Supergirl we had on CBS, and I'm very excited to do that. And uh, before we kind of jump into everything, I wanted to let everybody know who's going to be doing the show with me, and I'm I'm beyond excited uh, by who we have here tonight. And uh, it's been a long time, but Norm, welcome back to the 602. It's been a long time getting from there to here. It's been a long time, but Supergirl's time is finally near. Ah, oh, man. Way to work in the Enterprise theme song <laughs> and change it into a Supergirl theme song. I love it. I they should have yeah. used that as the theme song. I don't know. Just change the words. I just, I'll, yeah. I'll keep my day job, but I, I just felt, I, I felt the, floor, the force flow through me. Wow. You've yeah. just talked about all the major fandoms and like one fell swoop. We're done. That's I'm out. Do. That's what I do. Like George Costanza. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, and I'm, I'm really excited to have back with us. Uh, you may remember her from such shows as hashtag Aunt Baru Forever. When we talked about A New Hope with Star Wars and Bethany, I'm really glad that you've decided to join us for what I hope to be a super evening. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to discussing the very first episode of Supergirl with you guys. Yeah, awesome. Well, before we dive into the show, I want to remind everybody that the 602 Club is part of the Trek FM network, which you can find at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. We're a featured provider there on iTunes. You can find all the shows we do. We have every single part of Star Trek covered. And as Christopher Jones would like to say, beyond! Beyond! <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's... It, it blows my mind just how many shows we have these days. We even have a brand new show about the philosophy of Star Trek, Metatrek. So we're trying to just cover everything possible for you guys. And you can find all the shows there. We also have our website at trek.fm. You can find us on Twitter at, at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And of course, we're on the Babel Conference, which is the listeners only discussion group. And really one of the best places for you to join us. So we really hope that you'll do that. Just type Babel into the search field on Facebook or click discussion on the menu bar on any of the show pages there at trek.fm. So, 
Well, diving into this, uh, Norm, we've been excited for this show for a long time. Uh, I remember when the trailer came out. We mm-hmm. did a reaction show to the Supergirl trailer, yep. and uh, I think we both kind of had geek joy tears coming. <laughs> and uh, I mean, yeah, totally, totally okay with saying that on on air. Yeah, I think you've put that in print too. So we're we're covered. I think there. we did. Yeah, yeah, I think we did. And uh, I'm I'm going to stand behind it. But I wanted to ask both of you. What now that we've seen the entire show and and it did leak online uh, very early in the spring into summer. I didn't watch it, so this was the first time I had seen it. But I wanted to ask you guys, what are y'all's first impressions uh, uh, of Supergirl? Bethany, what did you would you think? Uh, my first impression was that in general, it's a really well put together show. The graphics are good, the the effects are good. They obviously they spent their budget well in that department. I thought the acting in a few places is a little stiff. You can tell that the actors are all still getting used to each other a little bit. And that's that's common in the first few episodes of any TV series, really. Uh, but I, I was really appreciative of the enthusiasm of the show. The fact that while there's some serious stuff going on in it, there's a lightheartedness to it uh, that's similar to The Flash for me. And I, I do really enjoy that. Well, I this is the first time that you know we've we've talked anything outside of Star Wars for you. So, kind of wanted to probe for you a little bit. Are you kind of a comic book fan? Do you enjoy those type of movies and, and shows? And for you, if that's the case, what are some of your favorites so that the listeners kind of have an understanding? Okay, where's Bethany coming from? Oh, okay, yes, I I adore comic book movies and TV shows. Uh, but I will say I've I think I've read like three comics in my life, so I'm not really much of a comic book reader, if at all. But um, I I love the Marvel movies. Iron Man is one of my favorite characters. I do watch and enjoy Arrow and The Flash. Uh, I I like other shows like Supernatural, and so there are a number of ones like that for me. Uh, sometimes the Arrow can get a bit uh, melodramatic. So sometimes I have as much fun laughing at Arrow as I do being engaged in watching it. <laughs> it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely switched gears this season, which I think is a really welcome change because I think we all were ready for a different Arrow, maybe a, a green Arrow. Or a greener yes. Arrow. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying we've left the emo Arrow behind? He's, he's uh, moved on well, to greener I, pastures. Oh, I, yeah, he has <laughs> moved on to greener pastures. Man, good one, Norm. You are on fire. Um, yes, if you fire haven't storms, gotten right. to see any of this uh, season just yet, uh, there is a noted difference in the tone of the show. Um, so I think that you will be very happy because it, um, it feels a little bit more happy. Um it does, yes. Now, if only Laurel would actually consult other people before making certain decisions. Yeah, like raising her sister from the dead. Yeah. Spoiler know, alert. Like, best decision of the week goes to Laurel Lance. Not. <laughs> exactly. I mean, who, who thinks, like, I just have to say, I know that we're talking about Supergirl, but I just have to get this one thing out of the way. So, who comes to you, Matt, or you, Norm, and says, like, I know. Let's go seek this dark magic and raise a body that's been dead for months 
to life. Who's with me? You know, the funniest thing is that I actually had that con- the kind of conversation over lunch today. I said my, my schedule is just far too busy for that right now. So let's just shelf that. You know, <laughs> yeah, we're uh, just going to put a pin in that. Yeah, we'll, um, and, uh, we'll put that it, on the It reminds later. me of Aladdin where the genie's like, I can't bring people back from the dead. It's not a pretty sight. I don't like doing that. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, why would you want to do that? It, it never turns out good. So I'm yeah. really there. Uh, I mean, I'm glad to have... Um, Katie Lott's back uh, in that universe because I really like her as an actress and all. But yeah, they're bringing her back that way was a little bit like, huh? Okay, that's that's just not going to turn out well for anyone. Well, so. we're really yeah. fast tracking to Legends of Tomorrow. So let's just get those legends up and running and get that show in there for the midwinter break season. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Norm... Um, so what did you end up thinking? You've gotten a chance to watch Supergirl now. Mm-hmm. And for you, what are kind of some of your first impressions uh, of this pilot episode? You know, when we covered this all the way back when the first preview broke and when they announced this was going to be on TV, I love Superman. Superman 1978 is a movie that changed my life. There are movies for everybody that are those watershed moments that literally change the course of how you look at your life. And Superman, Christopher Reeve's 1978 was one of those movies for me, as was Star Wars, as was A New Hope, as was Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. And the one thing that I took away from the very first time I saw the trailer was the spirit of that Superman universe being intact, the fun of that universe being sown throughout the entire essence of that of the trailer let alone what we saw from the from the actual pilot and as a pilot goes i thought they actually did a really good job with hitting the right touchstones of what it's supposed to impart for a new audience because as well steeped as all of us are with the Superman universe and what we've watched, this show isn't necessarily for veterans of that universe. I think this is a really interesting point that we have to actually address for fans moving forward with any of these licenses, that audiences change from generation to generation. Everyone has to have an entry point. I think that Supergirl is a great entry point for a very important audience that we need to grow and need to encourage. And I think that it did what it needed to do as a pilot in order to start the ball rolling in a very positive way. I mean, I can go into all the different details and we will go into that later on in the show, but just for the spirit of it, it was the right feeling at the end of the show. It was that feeling of hope and that feeling of empowerment and that feeling of I have a chance to do something good. And I think that's very inspirational for a lot of people. I really like that, Norm, because it really ties back into something that we were talking about. I feel like on one of the start, it might have just been the most recent episode, uh, number 52, and we were talking about, ooh, 52. Ooh, There's ooh. a comic book reference there for <laughs> you folks. Uh, as we were talking about uh, Empire Strikes Back, but we were talking about kind of the end of the watching order and how you get people into things and... I really like that. You know, we as fans kind of get so entrenched and we have a variety of ages here between you, me and Bethany, and we all kind of represent a different generation, really. 
Mm-hmm. And we've all found things in a different way. And none of us has a leg up on the other. None of those entry points makes a, a person better than the other, you know? And I think that's one of the things that I really want to stress on, on, on this show all the time is that no matter what your entry point into something, just because, you know, you may have found Star Wars uh, by watching The Clone Wars or Rebels, and that was your first thing, or you found it in 77 because you were waiting in line with your buddies at Grauman's Chinese Theater to see it. Neither one of those people is a better fan or a bigger fan or a better fan. Right. The most important thing is that you found it. Yes, exactly. You know, and that exactly. speaks, and it, it speaks to you, and it, for whatever reason, if it, that's the starting point for you and it takes you on this journey that inspires you as a person, that's the most important thing, regardless of how much trivia you know or how many things you've collected. Yeah. We all, you know, so what do you think, Bethany? I mean, don't, do you think you, I mean, you've said in your last podcast that you're newer to Star Wars. Sorry, I was about to say Star Trek, but Star Wars. Well, and you're, Star Trek you know, for that matter. But, uh, but, but your yes. enthusiasm comes through like that, and I think that's fantastic. It's, um, I, I will say that it, it's been a long time pet peeve of mine in the geek community where it could be like, well, I'm a better geek than you are, Norm, because I know more about this stuff because I've been a geek for 10 years and you've been a geek for two years or, mm. you know, I'm just mm-hmm. making up a scenario. But to have people with that attitude, it uh, makes for a fairly unfriendly community when you have yeah. that kind of an attitude. And I think if you're even going to try to measure geekness, which is shaky ground enough already, then if anything, it should be measured on enthusiasm. So it's a, I'm a geek for X property, like Star Wars should be like, oh, I'm a huge fan of Star Wars because I really, really like it. And it's, it's one of the properties or the franchises that I like to spend most of my, um, you know, entertainment time in versus you know, I, I kind of like some other series and I'll occasionally watch it or I'll watch it when it comes on Netflix. So, but it's, we have a tendency to, in our own human insecurities, want to measure ourselves and to see how we measure up against other people. And I think we set ourselves up for uh, hurting other people and ourselves when we do that. This is a tendency I think everybody has, but it it needs to continue being addressed in the geek community. So that's why it drives me nuts every time <laughs> the Star Wars Twitter report, uh, the Star Wars Report Twitter account, for instance, that me and Riley and a couple of other staffers run. Um, we have over sixteen thousand followers, so we get all types um, of people who follow the Star Wars Report. Occasionally I'll throw something out there to be more of a troll in a good way to see like if somebody will come back and say something really negative, I'll block them <laughs> it's because I, I don't want I want to cultivate a good audience and a good community. Uh, and sometimes people come on and be like, well, those aren't real fans for not liking this and such, or those aren't real fans for liking Star Wars Rebels. And I'm like, that's Who a really interesting word, real. Star Wars Rebels, yeah. you know? Yeah. I, that word, that, that real, and I'm going to put yeah. that in quotes, real. What does that mean? Because 
that that's a word that actually sets me off a lot when someone says, well, I'm a, you know, if you watch that, you're not a real fan. A real fan yeah. is somebody who falls in love with a property like this that inspires them to do better things in their lives. You know, it makes them a better person. And if it's, if you can't call somebody a real fan after that, you really have to check the definition of real and check yourself. Yeah, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. You know what I'm saying? Because, <laughs> I mean, when you're yardstick for ruling whether you're a better fan or not is that I know more useless trivia than you, I think that maybe you, you need to look at yourself. Because in the end, this is for fun. This is for enjoyment. Yeah. It's yeah. Or even and, the I have better taste than you as a fan because <laughs> I like this series and you like that series and my series is better than your series. So yeah, that's like, yeah. just, just tonight I was emailing somebody from the Star Wars Report email account. He'd emailed to ask for book recommendations and just trashed the Heir to the Empire trilogy and said it was awful and he didn't like the characterization and it was childish and blah, 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 blah. And I wrote back and I was like, well, I actually really like the series, but if you don't, then I'd probably recommend these Star Wars books. And he came back about an hour or so later. I was like, Really? You like those? Don't you think they were... And a bunch of negative adjectives after that. And they're like, I just explained that I really liked them. I really have to explain myself as a fan to you. You know, you you can like a different style of books. I'm perfectly fine with that. Might be slightly sad that you don't like what I do, but... And I think that that's one of the things that was my first impression for the show. Is that this show like Flash and I think even Arrow because watching the first season of Arrow not too long ago again with my wife I was struck by how earnest they are to tell the story of their hero they they really want to get you into their world and create something that will take you on a journey and they're going to be different journeys that's the thing I like you know um Arrow's journey is different than flashes and both of those are different than supergirls they're gonna have some unique flavor to them but they're all telling a a hero's journey and i think we all love that and what i love is that too you know my first impression is is that they are trying to tell a great story for everyone this might be called supergirl but uh, melissa bonoist had a great point on colbert the other night when she said i think what makes this feminist she said is that it's for everyone it's not just for girls it's not just about it being about a girl i was like yes that's awesome you know because shouldn't the shows be for everyone and so that was my really big first impression is that this is a show for everybody and i've heard so many people talking about how they were sitting down and like obviously families were watching the show because it was the biggest premiere of the season you know, and yeah. how many shows are appointment television for families these days? I'd say zero mm-hmm. on, uh, right now. And now they have a show where parents can watch with their kids. Uh, Bethany, I was talking to Bruce today, Bruce Gibson, who's on the show, and he mm-hmm. works with y'all at the Star Wars Report. And he was saying, you know, um, my daughters, I, I'm really excited to have them watch this show because like Flash, it's a show that I feel comfortable with them watching. And that just doesn't happen very often. So my first yeah. impression was, what it, it, wholesomeness isn't lost, and it's not bad. It's great, and I'm glad that we're getting a show like that 
in Supergirl. With that said, I wanted to ask you, because this is a show that's called Supergirl, and some people have been negative about the fact that it's not, say, called Superwoman or something else. Um, and and so I kind of want to talk about the idea of putting the girl in Supergirl. Um, and there there is a conversation that uh, Kara and Kat have in the office once Kat's na- labeled her Supergirl and, and Kara has an objection to being called that, saying, shouldn't she be called woman? And so I wanted to ask both of you what you thought about that conversation. Does it work for you? Should they have ever mentioned it? Um, is it empowering? Uh, how did you take that conversation? Bethany, I, I'm really interested to hear what you had to say. I guess this can be looked at in a few different ways. Uh, the one that I take it is it's not awkward in the, in the setting at all. I mean, these are the kind of discussions that people have on Twitter and Facebook these days. These are the kind of discussions that they take place in this modern Western world that we live in. And because Supergirl is essentially, I mean, it's not set in the past. So uh, I, I feel like it parallels what's going on currently right now, which is people do have questions about what what is considered being PC in a negative way. What's considered being polite and respectful and inclusive, um, what's considered to be blatantly sexist or racist, etc. And uh, these these cause massive arguments online uh, from anything from television shows or books to the most recent interviews with political candidates in the U.S. So it's, it's I felt like, it, I, I saw some people react to it like, like oh, that was so, so shoehorned in. And I'm like, this, this, this would be a conversation that would take place in a news studio, period. I, if I, I mean, if I were working in actual mainstream journalism and I were doing a report mm-hmm. on a hero and that got up, I would definitely bring that up. Just because it's something you have to think about when you're reporting on anything. So, first of all, I thought the conversation worked. Secondly, I think with the origin of the named Supergirl, and I don't know much about past Supergirl history, but it was created in an era when there was a little bit less equality for women, I would say, uh, in the general attitude. So it could be said that the origin of the name is slightly less respectful than Superman, per se, but I don't think it has that connotation anymore. I mean, I get called girl, guy, and dude in this day and age. What's up, dude? I'm like, (laughs) well, I'm not exactly a dude, but hi! You know, so it it depends on who you're around. So I think the connotation in today's age that Supergirl is fine, uh, but I'm I'm happier that the discussion was had rather than it being automatic, oh yes, it's Supergirl because that's what she's always been. You know, because this is an origin story. They have to explain why she has that name why not superwoman anyway does that answer your question yeah no i i think it does and and so i I think um for you it sounds like that you were generally pleased and you found like that it was respectful 
mm-hmm. in the end to call her that. And the reasons that they gave you found respectful and empowering instead of derogatory. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Kat is just looking to create a buzzword. So she's going to do what anyone creating a buzzword does and what works best, what's most alliterative, what will catch with people more. And honestly, Supergirl works better than Superwoman because just because of the way it sounds. What about you, Norm? Well, knowing what we know about the show and taking this in context, I have actually a couple of different opinions on the scene. First of all, I thought the scene was necessary. It was absolutely necessary. There was that it's the conversation that has to be had on a show like this because of, of the connotations of this title in, in today's day and age. It's something that you can't shy away from, and I'm really glad that we're having this part of the conversation right now on the show because it is going to probably spur on a little bit more conversation when the show drops. That being said, I know and I feel in my heart what this show is trying to do, and I just think that the conversation that was being delivered wasn't crafted in the right way. I think it was a little heavy-handed, but I think it needed to be, But I think that also when you see all these great pictures of Melissa Benoist in costume surrounded by Girl Scouts or young students and they're all just super excited around being somebody that's so inspiring, I think that the writers probably lost an opportunity here to actually fit that into the show and say that the hashtag Supergirl actually came from somebody, a young girl, who was on that plane, who she saved. And then Kat just kind of absconded with that word and said like, oh yeah, you know, I came up with that because she's that kind of media mogul. She's very slick that way. But that would have been something that Kara could have owned for herself. That yes, I inspired that girl to name me. And I'm going to do justice by that name. And that's where I think that I would have liked to have seen the story take that ownership of that name as opposed to Kat trying to explain away what it means to her in a modern age. Neither answer is right nor wrong. It's just that for me as an audience member, that's where I think it would have worked a little bit better for me. But you have to take a look at what the public image is of Melissa Benoist now as Supergirl. The way that she walks in the suit and the way that she inspires her audience, her core audience. I'm not her core audience. By and large, Matthew, neither are you. You know, Bethany, you're closer to her core audience. But it's the audience that you need to understand who's appealing to and how they look up to her now is exactly the way that I looked up to Christopher Reeve when I saw him fly. That is the magic behind what this show is about. And I think that we really need to focus more on that and the importance of what that means rather than really getting hung up on this this politicized version of this particular scene, which by and large, I don't think will ever be solved because there are so many different opinions about it. But I think we can all agree on that what she means to her audience is the more important thing. One of the things that, you know, Norm, since we have kind of been with this since the beginning, since it's Genesis, and we heard that it was coming out, and, you know, I've spent a lot of time reading 
Berlanti and Kreisberg and uh, listening to Melissa talk about the role and everybody involved in their whole mode of, their their whole mode of operation, their modus operandi for this has been to do a show that would celebrate girls, that would celebrate girl power, that would be something that would be um, empowering for girls to see. And knowing that, I think that's the reason for them saying, let's address this right up front, which I'm glad they did, and let's talk about it, and let's take back a word that has been politically incorrect for people to be called because it has a negative connotation and give it a positive one. Let's empower the word girl. Let's make it okay for little girls to be girls and to be proud to be them, to wear that as a badge of honor and not disgrace. Let's 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 throw away terms like, oh, she runs like a girl or he throws like a girl and all of that. Let's take it back. And that's what I see them trying to do in this scene And even Calista Flockhart said in an NPR interview, she said, oh, I love that speech. So one of the things I love about the show is the real celebration of girl power. She's like, I'm a girl and I'm awesome and I'm not going to apologize for that. And that no girl should have to apologize for for being a girl. And, uh, you know, I have five nieces and I would be proud for any of them to watch this show because of the way that it portrays uh, female characters here, uh, the good and the bad, because, you know, Kat's not exactly the nicest, best person for them to be looking up to. And when we all know that, but on the other hand, you know, uh, Kara and her sister, Alex are good women for them to look up to. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate the conversation that's had. And I appreciate the way that they, I, I feel from the creators that they're trying to empower. And is it perfect? I think you're right, Norm. I think it is a little heavy-handed. But it I don't know necessarily how you have this conversation without it just kind of being like, okay, we're having the girl conversation, and now we can go on the show, you know? Uh, well, being so. <laughs> pilotitis, I mean, it's pilotitis, and, and pilots yeah. usually tend to uh, have to create this crucible of information that they have to disseminate in a very structured, very organized way so that they capture their audience and they say, okay, you need to know this at this time, which leads into this, which culminates into this, which ultimately ends into this. And hopefully you'll understand what we've broken down for you in this narrative order so that you'll watch the next show. Because by and large, the pilots are never really the the most shining moment of a series. Unless Um, you're lost. Yeah, well... (laughs) (laughs) those things come uh, once every blue moon if if i may before we get too far into the conversation uh, and just to clarify for anybody who doesn't really follow this kind of conversation uh what a lot of people mean when they say girl power or empowerment of women or feminism is we're not meaning that women should be better in some way than men because I've seen people react to that being like wait doesn't feminism mean that women are better and I'm like no it's just just supposed to mean that we're equal so to to clarify that there is sexism out there just as there is racism uh, and yes sometimes men are mistreated for being men as well but um, most modern feminist goal 
which is different kind of in some ways than some other feminist movements, is the equality of women. Uh, so that would be equality in government, equality in pay, equality in treatment, in representation, that sort of thing. So I, I do want to make it clear for any listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with the issue, just the fact that it gets talked about is we're, we're not all sitting here advocating for some um, Amazon-type society where women rule everything or something like that. Uh, so, No, that's Wonder Woman. <laughs> and then the Atlanteans no, get involved, point. and then you have the Flashpoint Paradox, and the entire world is, you know... Oh, that's so those true. Those Atlanteans. So yeah. true. Oh, goodness. No, but uh, Bethany, I absolutely I appreciate exactly what you're saying. I mean, that's that's very important for people to understand that particular part of this equation. And I think sometimes that gets lost in the perception of what that means rather than the reality of what that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I'm I'm glad that you, you brought that up, Bethany. I think that is a, a fantastic point to remember. And I, I think that's the goal for this show too. I mean, and, and, and there's a lot of expectation obviously that goes with this because it's really the first female superhero thing yeah. that we've had out there that's so big. I mean, um, I mean, gosh, I think the last superhero female film that we had was Catwoman or Elektra, one of those. And neither of those is good. So I, I did watch both. They, um, they, they have some, good-ish parts, but neither of them were exactly very flattering to the main characters. I like that good-ish part, <laughs> so I'm going to start using that. Good-ish, the good-ish parts, I like that, yeah. You know, there was an interesting topic that was brought up on the Babel conference today about um, the just the volume, or lack thereof, of super heroin films, and but then somebody was mentioning like, well, we have a lot of all these different types of heroines. You have Buffy and you have Ripley. And it's like, okay, I understand that. But they're not the tried and true trademark superheroes. These are action heroes. And they're fantastic at that. And there are uh, a, a bountiful plenty of them. But we're talking about superheroes or superheroines on the same wavelength as a major titled superhero. Like a Superman. Like a Batman. Like... Flash or Green Arrow. I just mentioned four male superheroes to the one Wonder Woman that I can throw into that equation or the one Supergirl now that I can throw in the equation. That's why they're, it's so crucial for a show like this to win on that level because it opens the door for a lot of these Hollywood studios to look at a successful business model and say, we can create more of these types of shows because this is a successful enterprise, if you will, for making more doorways open for superheroines. Well, you'd think they'd be listening to Hollywood recently just because of the fact, I mean, you think about it, what's been some of the biggest movies recently? Hunger Games, all based around a girl. Uh, Frozen, based around two girls. You know, I mean, and those are just two examples of fantastic movies that their main core is is about following different girls, and they're great. We, you know, so even Divergent. I mean, I know it yeah, wasn't Divergent. as popular, but still, yeah, exactly. And, you know, so I mean, it, it, 
really what what people just want is we want it to be done right. And so far, I think we, we've been mostly positive and saying and Supergirl seems to be starting off on the right foot, you know, and and that's a good place to be. Um, and so I'm glad that that's the case because uh, I would be disappointed if, if they hadn't. And I didn't really have, honestly, I didn't have a thought that they would. After watching so much Flash and Arrow, these guys know what they're doing. I mean, they know how to craft these superhero shows. And I really didn't have a, a thought in my brain like, oh, I, I think this is probably just going to be okay. So I, I thought it would be pretty great. Um, but before I get to my ratings, because that's way down the line, <laughs> um, let's talk about the Super Friends. Which, oh, we'll, we'll, we won't say that ever. Yeah, <laughs> which Kara does not want them to be called, but uh, which I loved that reference. Uh, but let's talk about our Supergirl, Melissa Benoist, playing Kara Zor-El. And um, what did you guys uh, think of her? Because obviously, if you don't like her, it's going to be hard to like the show. <laughs> I think she's a very likable character. She's upbeat and smart, but she's not uh, like she doesn't push it on you at all. She She's not like, oh, I'm pretty and smart and everybody should love me because of it. Uh, and I have all these powers. I'm perfect. No, she's she has a humility about her along with her confidence that I find uh, very attractive in a character. So, like, one reason why I do really like Barry Allen's character is he's he's such a good guy at heart. You know, he's not inclined to be super cynical or emo or anything, but at the same time, he gets the job done. So it's it's sort of the mild-mannered superhero, if you will, or the opposite of the angsty superhero. Is that are are either of you two familiar with Final Fantasy? Slightly, a little bit, yeah. Okay. Hmm. Well, I could say like Cloud, the main character in Final Fantasy 7, uh, is very much of an emo type character in a lot of ways. Uh, or other superheroes where it's just, it's like Batman only taken even further down the road of, of I'm dark and I'm sad and I'm angry and angsty all the time. It's like a Lego movie song. <laughs> darkness. More darkness. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, darkness. Yeah. Parents. No, so and, yeah. and while I love, you know, Batman Begins and that, that entire trilogy, it's a very different feel. And I, I like having this upbeat feel so you know it's it's not there's a a trend especially prior to the past two years to be really dark with films uh, whether it be the zombie apocalypse type film or just other films that get really dark even the hunger games could be an example of that but uh so i I like the lightheartedness in supergirl and i think it fits with uh both superman and supergirl very well. Well, I mean, Matthew, you and I have had conversations about Melissa Benoist's performances, Kara, and as Supergirl at length. I think that, I mean, without pretty much talking for another hour, I'm going to boil this down really quickly. I think that she is 100% the most perfect casting choice I have seen come down the pike in a long time. I mean, I am putting it right up there with Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, me as you know the most incredibly fit guy in the world. Um, but I won't do the sequel. I won't do the sequel. It's just too hard on my body. No, but you know, it's, it's, 
there are moments in time where things just, they align really well. And she was the right person at the right time for this role. There's a really, and, and, and Bethany, I'm actually glad you brought up Grant Gustin's Flash because there is an interesting word that I've heard on the internets uh, and describing these two characters, describing Kara, or should I say Melissa and Grant, and they're called adorkable. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Because there is a certain strength to them. They want to do good. They have this this beacon of purity and joy and earnestness and honesty to them because they want to be superheroes. They don't have really any other agenda aside from trying to be better or to make their world or their community better and safer and somewhere that you can be proud to be. And when you see Melissa act as both Kara and as Supergirl, it's just one of those Christopher Reeve moments where she is actually in equal measures doing the the service of both of her characters justice because it can't just be one part of the character and it can't just be the other part of the character. Her conversation with James Olsen is one of the most adorably acted scenes I have ever seen in my entire life because you see her. I think you see past Kara into Melissa and she's just saying, I am so excited to be here on this show doing what I'm doing. I think Grant is pretty much like that every single performance. He's like, I am playing a superhero and I'm making tons of people happy just by being a superhero. And I think that's the greatest job in the world. So, you know, I can, again, I can belabor this point until the cows come home, but she really was the right person to come along at the right time. And she's a perfect complement to every other person that has been cast in this DC TV universe. It really is a pretty amazing when you think about it that the leads on the shows you, and you think of um, Stephen Amell playing uh, Arrow, Green Arrow, and just the the way that he portrays that role and the the strength that it takes because he he has to play so many different versions of that character and keep them all straight in his head. I mean, he even changes the tone of his voice for for the way that he plays the character in certain scenes. Uh, so it's incredible. Grant, uh, you know, when he first, you know, blazed onto the screen, it he is, he's perfect. He's Flash, you know, I mean, and didn't know that that would be possible. And the same thing with Melissa, you know, she she's on screen from the get-go, and there's no doubt in my mind who she is and that she's perfect for the role. And that's a credit to the casting directors for these shows for being able to see into, you know, the soul of the actor to find the right person, the right fit for the right tone. And she's perfect for this tone because it really is that classic uh, Superman, you know, type character where she's playing and What's great is that she's not playing the bumbling character. She just kind of is the bumbling character, you know, Um, whereas Superman would play that part of Clark. And um, but that is just her because she spent so much of her life, you know, tampering down the super and and hadn't really been letting the, you know, genie out of the bottle. (laughs) And now that that that's out, it. I would. I can't wait to watch her be able to kind of mature the character and grow the character and see how that changes. And she's just, 
Somebody remarked online that it was almost as if Felicity Smoke yes, I was, was turned into a superhero. And it kind of true, just the way that she puts her foot in her mouth and, and she doesn't know what to say. And uh, it was, yeah. So she's, I really love that. Yeah, she's like literally the yeah. second most powerful being on the planet that we know of. But she really can't put two sentences together when she's talking to a guy or talking to her boss. She's There's more Smallville in her and she's never touched Smallville. You know, there's just that really great mild-manneredness to her, but not in that same Clark Kent kind of way. I don't she's she's a true gift to the show. She really is. I don't think that anyone else could have done better. Oh yeah, and it's it's another similarity to Felicity Smoke's character. It's it's not just the sort of bumbling, good-hearted adorableness, which is awesome. But even that, you see Felicity Smoke go from someone who, uh, she has courage, but she has a lot of fear, too, to, you know, fast forward to where we are now. She's the CEO of a company, and she's figuring out all of these things, and she's fighting the bad guys and loving it. So, I think we'll see that same type of transition. We are seeing that transition, even in the first episode, uh, with Supergirl. So, I, I really want to see where she goes from here. I don't think... And I certainly hope that we never lose that adorableness factor. But I do think that she'll mature somewhat. What did you guys end up thinking about Jimmy James Olsen, uh, played by Makad Brooks? And, uh, you know, just he's a character that we've seen portrayed many different ways throughout the comics and on film. And this is it's kind of a brand new James Olsen. Hmm. I guess for me, I... The character seemed a little odd to me in some ways, just because I sort of understand his desire to start over. But if he wanted to start over, why start over with essentially female version of what he was reporting on before all this time? So I kind of wonder if he said that more in some ways to alleviate any questions or suspicions she might have had at the time. And if he came actually more on Superman's behalf to help her out. So I, I kind of wonder about that a bit. That's a good question. I, I I hadn't, man, I hadn't really thought of that at all. You just kind of blew my mind, Bethany, uh, that that might be the case, that there might be more to his story than just, I, I kind of wanted to, you know, find a new life. And Superman was like, hey, can you go, you know, can you go be near my cousin? And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Um, yeah, that would make a more interesting storyline for sure. I think traditionally Jimmy Olsen, and and this is where kind of like the the misinterpretation through nostalgia is being a little challenged here. Jimmy Olsen was always called Superman's best friend. He had the watch that had the sonic device in it that called Superman so Superman could save him at a moment's instant. I mean, Jimmy was always this type of um, almost kind of like a the friend in distress. Uh, I, I want to do right by Superman, but I'm going to end up hanging off the Hoover Dam, so I need him to save me kind of guy, you know? And Mark McClure will always kind of like be my Jimmy Olsen because that's just... I always reference the, the Christopher Reeve films because that's what I grew up with. But I really like this interpretation of Jimmy Olsen. I like how they kind of had that really short 
short conversation. It's like, no, it's James. It's James. You know, it's we're, we're supposed to treat him now, obviously, as a different person, a different character, a different interpretation. And I think instead of somebody who relied on Superman to give him strength, I think that Kara is going to rely on Jimmy to give her strength and some type of anchor to her cousin. And I think that's a really important role because Jimmy, by and large, as a character, has always been marginalized as this cub photographer. Well, as you can see by this brilliant casting of Nicod Brooks, he is capable, he is physical, he is... I mean, I'm, I'll be... I'm open to say that he is a good-looking man of color who is obviously very secure in the role that he has in this new life of his. I think that is really interesting, completely opposite dynamic of what people believe Jimmy Olsen is. And why not? I don't see why, why wouldn't you try something like that? And it's... It's an interpretation of a convenience that has been in Superman from time in memoriam. And I think it's time to change things up. We are talking about Supergirl, after all, you know, not Superman. And there's a nice continuity of his character being this through line through the universe. But it doesn't necessarily have to hold on to the same traditions and tropes of what this character used to be. This actually lends more to my theory because he's in that role, very capable of being the one who's helping her rather than the other way around. Because I'm seeing her leaning on him quite a bit for guidance and for just opinion and thoughts and support too. There might be those conversations where she would ask, well, what would he do? You've seen him in action and you've confided in him. What would he do? Is He's almost kind of like a... He's like her Yoda. Yeah, or a con- yeah, his con- like a conscience, a conscience for. Um, oh, he's your Jiminy Cricket. Jiminy Cricket. What you're saying? A Jiminy yeah. Olsen Cricket. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and after all, if you think about it, I think it's mentioned in the article that you guys linked to. But um, how how is Kara really going to be able to trust fully everyone that her sister works with when they've started out with such a massive attitude towards her? Right. You know, if if I were in her shoes, I wouldn't exactly find those shoulders to cry on or ask for support because you could just as soon find the emotional rug yanked out from under you from people who feel that way about you. So well, other than her sister, you know, there's there's no one else really that she can lean on as much. I mean, I, I know that you know, she has her friend too, but he's kind of, He's a little more obsessive over Supergirl, I guess. <laughs> He's a little Twitter-pated with her at the moment. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, what did you guys, uh, you know, speaking of her sister, uh, Kyler Lee is back on TV. Uh, I'm a huge uh, Grey's Anatomy fan and, and uh, loved her turn as Lexi uh, Grey on that show. And now she's playing Alex Danvers. And so... Um, I I am so glad that she's back on TV, but I'm also really excited to kind of watch this sister relationship. And it seems like that might be a thing that the show is really about more than any of the other relationships we might have, which I, I think when you're talking about a show about girl power and all that, this this it has that frozen feel to me. 
you know, and, and I'm really liking that that kind of relationship, that sister kind of relationship is going to get some play. What did, what did you guys think of her? For me, I do really like the sister relationship. Uh, I liked that they aren't going to spend an entire season pouting over the fact that Alex kept stuff from her. You know, I can see that possibly coming up again as an issue in the near future, but it's not something where they're they're going to storm off and have, you know, they're not going to use that plot point for drama, uh, which I'm I appreciate. <laughs> so uh, the sister relationship, though, to me, it's it's a very special one, too, because uh, are both of you familiar with the Bechtel test? Mm-hmm. Yes. So this this passes that test, the flying colors. Oh, and this conversation it's, it's for so sure. It's yeah. so amazing where, you know, some people are like, oh, the Bechtel test is it's just something silly that you use to see if you have uh, female characters who work. and But it's true. You have no idea how tired I get of hearing female characters on TV shows and movies who really only get together to snipe at each other because they both want the same guy or get together and talk and chat about guys. I'm just like, oh, it's so boring. and so one note all the time. And it's really sending girls the wrong message. So it's, I really like that these two sisters, the, their relationship focus is their relationship between each other and their work. So it's not between each other and some boyfriend or some guy or something. And like, Romance is not a bad thing, and I can see them having a conversation about somebody that Kara is smitten with or something like that, but that's not the focus of it, and I love that, and and I love that they have such a good relationship as well, that it's strong enough to where even though Alex did keep stuff from her, that's not a... Alex didn't do anything intentionally to hurt her, so even though there's a bit of a sense of betrayal... There's a sense of, you know, we've always loved each other and cared for each other, even through our flaws. So it's very realistic to me. I think that the the dynamic of being the big sister and trying to protect her little sister, even though her little sister can literally split the planet if she wanted to, is a really interesting dynamic because this is a this is now uh, an exercise in trust in a relationship, and I like how strong that Alex is with Kara because it's not about her having to be strong over Kryptonian because of who she is. It's her being strong for her younger sister whose guidance she still believes she needs. You're always going to be my little sister, no matter how powerful you are. You're going to be Kara, the girl that I learned to love when your cousin brought you to stay with our family. You're my adopted sister. You're my sister and even though that you can protect yourself 20 different ways better than I can, I'm still going to hold on to that tenant that I'm your older sister and I have to protect you because that's my job. I think that rings true very solidly in their relationship. And even though that I still think that we could have probably had an extra half hour to open up the storytelling, the moments that we had with Alex and Kara, as compressed as they were, they really did solidify a really strong relationship between the two. And there are going to be, I think, moments of really interesting tests between how this relationship is going to survive 
Alex's career and Kara's duty because Alex really by and large is working for an organization that is about keeping Kara's type in control. And when I mean type, I mean supernatural or metahuman. So where does the loyalty lie when that moment happens? And I think that's going to make for some great drama. I love that uh, Andrew Kreisberg was talking to Entertainment Weekly, and he said that um, the sisters' love for each other really makes up the emotional core of the series. And I think that is really special. Uh, you know, a lot was made when the trailer came out that, oh, this just looked like that Black Widow Saturday Night Live skit, and that this is just going to be, uh, you know, <laughs> superhero in love and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and that it really does seem like the, the core of this show, it, you know, obviously, Kara is going to find people that she likes, and I'm sure her sister will too, and those kind of things will happen in the show for everyone but that that's not the main focus of the show, what really is the heart and soul. He even said, to them, it's similar to the relationship between Barry and Joe on The Flash, uh, yeah. which is really the heart and soul of that show, even though, obviously, Barry has love interests and things like that. But I, I just, I really like that, that it's a familial relationship that is at the heart again. And uh, I think that's a really important thing uh, these days and I'm really excited to continue to see so what do you guys think of her uh, friend Wynn who uh, not only is a, an excellent seamstress yeah. but uh, apparently uh, just a whiz hacker and uh, maybe like Cisco Light <laughs> we had that conversation <laughs> before yeah <laughs> um, I, I, gotta, I gotta jump in here on this one because when when we first saw the preview we're like does everyone get a Cisco or does everyone get a um yeah. Uh, a uh, Felicity. 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 Because Felicity really was kind of like the the mold for all this. You know, she was the the, the IT girl, the tech, somebody that Oliver Queen needed on his team. Uh, she was able to handle all the logistics for all of the different things that he needed. And then, okay, that's great that she kind of let, she and Diggle became the the heart and soul of that team. And then. Sarah came on and then eventually Laurel came on and then you had the, and then eventually everyone else came on and you had this great miniature Justice League going on on Arrow and then it kind of like transferred over to the Flash you had Cisco and you have Caitlin and you have for all intents and purposes you know you have um, Tom Cavanaugh Wells Dr. Wells and then you had Joe at the heart so you had that team they're all building their support systems and I think Alex started here with Kara but then you have you know Wynn who can pretty much do what she needs to have done. There's that, uh, the, the Duke's Ex Machina kind of quality about that, where if she needs someone to do this, it's handled for her. If she needs someone to do that, it's handled for her. Either between him or this government organization, those things are handled so she can take care of her primary goal. So as much as I, I dig these kind of characters, they are getting a little played because they're so instantly good at what needs to be done and they they fall into a slot, you know, where, okay, now she has her team built in. And I wish they worked a little harder for it where maybe he was kept in the little dark a little bit more. But pilots, again, they have to fast forward a lot of this information to get the structure in place. I don't think he did a bad job at the role. And he does resemble a little bit. He's kind of like Cisco's cousin, you know, but I think he did okay with the job. 
Capes are ridiculous. Capes tell are your ridiculous. cousin I said that. Wait, <laughs> don't tell him I didn't say that at all. Yeah. Well, have you seen The Incredibles? Their bit about yes. yeah, capes. Yeah. <laughs> no capes. <laughs> yes. No capes. <laughs> Yeah. The The Incredibles. I love that movie. I'm so glad they're coming oh, out with so a sequel. Good. So yes, yes. I know. It's finally, like, finally, after all yes. this time. Yeah, we don't need Cars three. We need Incredibles two. Yes. Really, and three. Really do. And four. <laughs> yes. And five. I, I'm oh, sorry. Gosh. I keep derailing the show. No, no, no. You're. I. I'm so excited for Incredibles two. I. I honestly can't wait. No capes. <laughs> anyway, but uh, for me, I liked the character of Wynn, but I was I was pretty skeptical. Like when she was going to tell him, I was like, "We know nothing about Wynn. I mean, maybe she has a much longer goal running like work relationship with him, and she knows him a lot better than we, the audience, do." But I was like, "I don't know if I would tell him. He seems a bit too smitten, as as you put it." And not necessarily that that's the bad thing, but he's just so excited about it all. I wonder if he'll be able to contain himself or, or if he might be like, oh, yeah, so I was talking to Supergirl the other day. Wait, I wasn't supposed to say that. You know, something, some slip up like that just because of how excited he is. Uh, but, and Norm, I think you're right about shows using this dynamic of you have the main character and someone has to be their love interest and someone has to be their hacker sidekick and someone else has to be their super talented sidekick with science or being a doctor or some other technology or um, being telekinetic or some, you know, some other such skill like that. And you have to have a bunch of them and then all together they make a perfect team. Um, well, I kind of blame Buffy for that too. I mean, Buffy really <laughs> did kind of set that standard. So, but in some ways, it's realistic in the sense that as a leader, uh, you know, I'm in the Air Force ROTC, so we take leadership classes and read books about leadership and have leadership exercises. And some of them are quite useful. And some of them have me really questioning the authors and the creators of them (laughs) (laughs) and uh, be like, how long have you sat at a desk writing about leadership and not actually doing it? But um, others, seem to be quite useful and if you have good leadership good character and the ability to accomplish a mission so in this case it would be supergirl has all of these powers that allow her to go after bad guys then you automatically draw team members and followers to your side Uh, so you essentially become a beacon that attracts the best of the best to you so if you're a good leader, uh, if you're a good teammate, and you have all of these qualities that most of the main characters of these shows do, it is natural that they attract that to themselves. Um, and and that's why yeah. in Arrow, it's so realistic, because whenever he screws up, he starts pushing these people away from him. And that's a natural consequence of that as well. Um, the other thing that fascinates me about it, this too is in, in psychology we're taught that um, every human to be a well-balanced individual needs to have a support system and they need to have a support system for multiple aspects. So you need to have a good social life, a work life, a family life, spiritual life, all of these different aspects of your life uh, that you hopefully for the most part have people in those areas 
who support you, edify you, encourage you, challenge you, um, and generally make you a better person. So I actually like that in the show because I, I hope this inspires people to be intentional in seeking out relationships with others, coworkers, friends, family members, and being intentional about seeking those and setting them in place because too many people in today's world, they just stay too busy for anything. And that's, I love the idea that, that she is that beacon of hope and that she's, she has drawn these people to her. And, you know, obviously the, the wonderful thing about James Olsen is, you know, he knew her cousin. And so he already believes in her and what she can be. Uh, I love that they've let her make the decision to be what she wants to be. If she wants to be the hero, you know, Superman obviously wants her to be a hero like him, but he hasn't forced it on her. Yes. Um, you know, so that's wonderful. And, and, and the same thing with that I love with Wynn here is that he is so supportive immediately, you know, uh, he's the guy apparently I want making my Comic-Con outfit, um, you know, uh, because he can whip something up real quick. Uh, but you, you know, I, the way that he works with her, I thought was really fun. And, you know, he, he grounds her in that humanity, you know, like he makes her feel human, even though she's not human, you know, she's, she's a Kryptonian, uh, but she has all these people around her that give her the same way that Superman has this humanity and the best of humanity. Mm. Oh, wow. You just completely opened up my mind. Cause I was like, I, I mean, Alex. Alex sees her her inhumanity as being a problem. You know, Alex is is pretty worried about it being an issue. And um, with James, he kind of sees her as she's going to become a Superman-like individual. But I think when, while he's he's kind of like, oh, this is so awesome. This is so cool. He still he's in some ways he's actually more down to earth about it even being smitten with Kara and thinking that Supergirl is so cool that he's he's almost like a fanboy type stereotype in some ways he treats her as more human than anyone else in the show well and that's a really interesting point that you brought up that we didn't touch on with Alex is the fact that she is kind of that voice of Ma and Pa Kent in Man of Steel, where they're worried about their son, and that that not that automatic thing of yes, you need to go out and help everybody, that they're worried about the repercussions for that person. If people find out who you are and what you can do, are they going to be afraid of you? And they they touch on this show with uh, Hank Henshaw's characters. We're about to move into him. You know, he says, "Look, there are people who are afraid of Superman. Mm-hmm. It's just not a popular opinion." Right. You know, um, so there is a a reality in this, and there is a there's a continuation, a tiny bit of what they've had in the movie universe so far, uh, with Man of Steel and where they're going to go in, in Batman v Superman, of the fact that if you have this, somebody of this magnitude on the planet, that is kind of scary, because mm-hmm. it's like a god walking among us. And are they going to be a friendly God or, or not? And that's what Hank Henshaw is all about with the Department of Extra Normal Operations, the DEO, as they like to say, um, 
because ever since Superman arrived on the scene before Kara got to our planet, they have been worried about being not alone in the universe. You know, humanity found out that they're not the only ones and it changes everything. So what did you guys kind of think of his character and the way that that's all working together with the rest of the show? Well, I mean, I wanted to address what you were talking about with with Alex's kind of paranoia of that because because she was involved in this organization and she knew about it and she was, you know, she's been working with them behind the scenes as Kara has been developing and growing up over the course of these years. I mean, I think that her fear about exposing Kara to anything outside of, um, uh, exposing her powers to anything outside of their comfort level is well justified from what she understands because she knows once that happens, the door, the barn doors are open and you can't get that horse back in the barn. I mean, it's done. It is, you're out there that's what she's worried about and probably more so than Mon Pa Kent because she's like, I know the people that are going to hunt you, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's, she's like, I, I am the people who are going to hunt you. Right. You know, and, and you know, there were those really nice scenes with like, you know, the kryptonite tranquilizer darts and the way that they can suppress her and going back to David Harewood's character is Hank Henshaw, which is awesome, by the way, because I love David Harewood all the way back from like what he was deputy director of the FBI in Homeland, and he did a great job at that. He's for some odd reason he's just really good at that kind of role, this uber authoritarian, uh, authoritative type of character on these shadowy organization and clandestine organizations. But there, I'm glad that they put this in there because it it needs to be a foil both for good and for. Um, other purposes in the show because you don't know where the loyalties of this organization will turn. You know, will they be helping her for her or will they be helping her for themselves? And that also puts Alex in a very precarious situation because sooner or later, she's going to have to make that decision. Kara or the rest of the world, who does she service in that in that moment and i think that's going to be for some really interesting storytelling yeah and because i think it will be the latter i think that uh they'll help supergirl because she's an asset not because they actually have her best interests at heart yeah so yeah that's a good point that's that's military thinking right there so uh i i like um you know i i like the character i like the way that it, it fits in with some of the things I've seen, you know, especially with the run of the new 52 um, and the the mistrust that um, the world has in general, the superheroes. It, it's not all, oh, you're on our planet. This is awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, it's more like people are afraid because they don't, they're afraid of what they don't understand. And comics, I think, in some ways have come to understand, especially when you have a superpowered character like a Supergirl or Superman People would be afraid of that as much as they would be a champion for it and excited that they were here as well because you don't know what the person is completely capable of or what they're going to do. And it makes sense to have this kind of organization. And I think David Harwood is, is – I think he's really good at this role. He comes off kind of as a jerk, and that's exactly what he needs to do at the beginning. And it'll be interesting to see if uh, he turns out to be the – 
Harrison Wells of this show where he becomes a bad guy or will he become more soft-hearted toward Supergirl and how they're going to progress with that? Uh, you know, I don't know. Well, so. I mean, he is Hank Henshaw. <laughs> that is true, which yeah. makes him a certain character in the comics down the road. Eventually. Yeah, whether or not uh, they go that route, I'm not quite sure. Uh, <laughs> but we'll see. Um, I don't want to spoil it for anybody because if you don't right, know the comics, that is, yeah. yeah, is a thing that is kind of fun. Okay. Um, quick note: obviously, Helen Slater and Dean Cain both are playing the Danvers, which is really exciting to have Supergirl and Superman playing her parents uh, from other shows. I love that, uh, like Flash and Arrow, they're not afraid to bring those legacy characters into the show. Um, I was kind of hoping they would have used Tom Welling as Superman Mm. just because. How awesome would that have been from Smallville? Uh, But, oh well. Uh, Aside from them, last character kind of what I talked about, obviously she's the other main character on the show, is Callista Flockhart playing Cat Grant. uh, And kind of what you guys thought about her and her portrayal and, and everything. I I love this character. She's just she amuses me so much. Uh like the one line especially that's like cancel sushi with my mom and then oh and also cancel the appointment with the psychologist because I won't need that now that I'm not having lunch with my mom and then she takes one sip of her giant coffee and drops the rest in the trash. It's like a perfect image of her character all wrapped up in one little moment there. Um she just cracks me up. I mean, she's a definite uh, stereotype almost to the point of being a bit too much of a caricature. But um, she's just, she's hilarious. So I like it. <laughs> not not exactly a, an intelligent response, but just just how I feel. No, that's cool. It's, it's, I mean, it's Calista Flockhart is for, I mean... For all intents and purposes, she is like TV legacy. I mean, she's Ellie McBeal, and Ellie McBeal was a supremely successful show, and she's had a great career since then, and she's a fantastic actress. And I think she hits all the notes for Cat extremely well. And it's going to be interesting how they're going to balance someone so big as Callista Flockhart in this show, because I think, for me at least, celebrity-wise, she is the biggest name on this cast by far. Um, I mean, it's not, I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed Tracy Scoggins as Cat Grant back in the adventures of Lois and Clark, but Hey, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a product of the late eighties, early nineties, but for what they needed her to be this kind of like this modern media mogul, I think that she had a certain like aloofness, but also a certain, um, mercenariness to her, especially when she needed to do what she needed to do as she needed to do it and as she needed to address the goals for the success of her company. I mean, this, there was there. I mean, she didn't mince words. Like I got to cut all these people from this paper. Wait a second. This person's going to make me a lot of money. I don't need to cut these people from this paper because once she makes me money, they make me money and this empire grows. That's how an entrepreneur works. And I think she It's interesting how she's going to use Kara in that Peter Parker, J. Jonah Jameson kind of way to get her the pictures and the information and all that kind of stuff she needs to help grow all those different stories that she wants to run for Supergirl. But that's where I wanted to go back to um, that conversation where I think that it would have been really cutthroat of her 
to use something as as benevolent as um, a girl who was saved on the plane and tweeting that name, Supergirl. I was saved by a Supergirl tweet, hashtag Supergirl. And then Kat was like, I like that. I'm going to buy that from you and then I'm going to own that so I can make money off it. And now I can save my paper and make more money off that franchise. I think that would have been more in tune with a character of this nature, but I'm not the writer. So <laughs> that's just that's just something I would have liked to have seen. But I think she does a great job at it. And I, it's going to be interesting how they balance how big of a star she is and how good she is at her role with the rest of all of these dynamics that are going on with the DEO, with Alex, with James, and um, and with, uh, with Wynn. There's a lot of dynamic in play there with all these different characters and it's going to be really interesting to try and see where the balance is with all of them what i thought it was interesting because i you know she's supposed to kind of come off as despicable i mean she's despicable cat that's who she is she's not supposed to be likable and the character isn't likable in the comics for the most part cat grants a loud mouth you know uh I would say, and, and it, it, she's kind of portrayed as bimbo-ish in, in a bad way. Like, all those stereotypes, that's kind of how she's portrayed. Um, and so here they've toned that down, made her the Devil Wears Prada uh, kind of boss, and I think it works. I, I think she's playing it well. And I think what's going to be interesting throughout the series is to watch her hopefully kind of get to grow and mature maybe out of that slowly as maybe her and Kara are able to kind of craft a relationship that just isn't her barking orders at her. So I think she plays it perfectly. I have no issues and I, I like Clista Flockhart and, you know, I remember Allie McBeal. And so uh, I, I was there for when she had her heyday and I'm glad that she's got a good rollback and I, it looks like they're going to give her some, some fun meaty stuff to do and, I'm like you, Bethany. She's a character, but that's kind of what you want this character to be like. Uh, and I find it really fun. <laughs> yeah, it's it. She's a bit of a. She's shallow in some ways, but you can also tell that she's incredibly intelligent, and that there may be mm-hmm. more to her beneath the shallowness that we're not seeing yet. Um, but on top of that, she just has that uh, just enough eccentricity to make it really funny. And, and and the way that she I, I I felt like that she she delivers those lines in a way that I think was very it just created a good character. Uh, she she just ha- found a way of like delivering her lines that created Cat Grant as a character. So I, I really like that. I, I'm glad that that they've got her, and I I think it'll be really interesting to see how that character grows. As we've said a couple of times. It's a pilot, so this is hardly going to be the best episode of the series. Right. Uh, but I think everything here is is good with these characters and with the villains. Um, you know, we kind of had a early season one flash, you know, Smallville thing, a villain of the week with Vartox, uh, who looked a lot like a Klingon <laughs> from the original series. Uh, movies that is they just change the axe for a batleth and you're like right exactly there. Yeah. exactly <laughs> uh, but the same nice ridge there uh, he could have fit right in with the brand new 2009 klingons almost yeah. so um or excuse me before i get letters 
the Klingons weren't in 2009. They were in Into Darkness. I know that. I'm just saying that J.J. Run is right. what I meant. So, But, so we have him as a villain. I, I think he's serviceable and not necessarily, there's not a lot of reason to talk about him right now. But the main villains we find out about in the last two minutes. And so I kind of wanted to ask you guys, finding out who's going to be our big bad throughout the entire season, what did you think of the uh, the bomb they dropped on us? Well, I mean, I, I really liked that they stuck with the the traditional spirit of of where the the enemies are going to come from. Like, uh, there's a whole thing, you know, with with General Zod and Ursa and Nine. You know, there's the whole, you know, we're going to get revenge on the son of our jailer. You know, from Superman Two and the Phantom Zone and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's really cool that they're bringing that type of through line into these pri- uh, because the prisoners. The prisoners are coming from the Phantom Zone. They're coming from a jail that was pulled from through time and space from the Phantom Zone, and that becomes your Hellmouth, you know, in a way from Buffy. Or yeah, um, I'm going to reference a, an old science fiction show from the '90s called Brimstone, where you know the the uh, the main character has to hunt down all these demons from hell, and there were X amount of them, and that's how many you know those are all the sins he had to atone for. So now you have X amount of criminals. And it could have been cool if they said, you have 52 criminals that you have to corral. Ooh, there's that 52 again. <laughs> well, like with Flash, right, basically, right. 52, 52 flashpoints. Flashpoints, 52 criminals. No, but I think it's a really neat mechanical construct that they put in there because now you have the reason why these people are out there. And they could also manipulate whatever they need to from the technology that they've brought from this prison. And some of it's going to be Kryptonian, which means it makes her vulnerable. And some of it may be magic, which also makes her vulnerable into the dynamic of the storytelling. So, and they have one supreme being, you know, the general Astra, uh, which is kind of like the general Zod in this equation. And the connection that she has to Supergirl's mother is interesting, you know, not just from the physical standpoint, but from the, this is my niece. I know what it's going to take to take her out. And the fact that she looks just like her mother. Right. I mean, that's going to be a weird fight. Right. Let me smack my mom around. So that <laughs> there's a lot going on there. And they, they dropped that probably at the right point because that's the nice hook at the end of a pilot that will want to kind of like springboard you into episode two or episode one past the pilot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually I'm wondering just how different the two are because, I mean... Supergirl, she obviously wants to do whatever she can to help people save the planet, that that type of thing. But uh, the general, while, I mean, she's got the whole dark motif going on with the outfit and her darker hair and everything, so I, I don't necessarily think she's going to be this nice, sunshiny person. But um, she, she seems to be very intent on doing what she thinks is right. So that that's an interesting twist for me. It's not just all about my power and me ruling and us ruling. She mentions that, but that doesn't seem to be her only goal. She doesn't just seem like a some power hungry season long villain, you know. Well, and and it's you know they do this and they've done this on Arrow and Flash, where you do a villain that's connected to the hero and it makes it personal. 
So whether it's Wells who, you know, turns into the reverse flash, um, or it's, you know, Malcolm or, uh, it's Blade Wilson, uh, you, you, you get these people who are, are intimately connected somehow with the, with the hero and, that gives them either a blind spot or makes it harder. And I mean, I'm not really sure what could be harder than the fact that you're going to come up, you know, against somebody who does look like your mother. Uh, and you're you, you, the way to defeat them, maybe to beat them down in a fight. And so it, it's going to be really interesting. Uh, and, and on top of that, saw a familiar face from Star Trek 09 uh Farron to here is uh playing the commander so nice to see him back in something and uh, he played captain rebeau uh at the beginning of that film and and uh and in iron man yeah and in his iron man fantastic so this guy uh tends to play a lot of bad guys on a whole though so but not for the federation he's He's good for the federation (laughs) (laughs) but i'm interested because i think They've set up great villains, and I can't wait to see how they kind of work it all in. And especially, obviously, once Kara finds out who this is, um, you know, that's going to put a, a lot of uh, stress on her and, and, and um, how she deals with the situation. You know, because she is dealing with the fact that she's different than Superman. You know, she remembers her home. She remembers her parents and as much as she is has grown up for the most part on earth there is a part of her that actually remembers and will always completely miss what she lost and the fact that coming up against Kryptonians uh, makes for an interesting battle because there's a part of her probably that will have a very hard time putting an end to them if she had to uh because this is the last of of her race the last of her her and her cousin's race you know they're the only two left they thought and and now there could be more and and the fact that they're evil i mean that just it, what a great again it's like man of steel where he finds out uh, you know that his his people are the bad guys it, it makes for a much more interesting conundrum right and there's also that really great story in Doctor Who, when the Doctor figures out that the Master's still alive, and this is David Tennant yeah. season three at the yep. very end, it was like, we're the last of the Time Lords. I can't, I have to save you if I can. And I think this is going to be an amazing, I'm going to predict this. I'm going to throw this out as a prediction at the very season, at the season finale, that they are going to go up against each other and she's going to have a General Zod moment with her aunt, where she's like, I need to stop you, but you're my own kin. What do I do? You know, I mean, who do, how do I handle this situation? Or maybe her aunt manipulates her in a way where it's like, come with me. I can, I can complete your training. You know, that kind of thing. You know? <laughs> Join, Join me, me and together we <laughs> shall rule the, uh, the wrong Let's Rule the galaxy as franchise. aunt and niece. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but there is going to be an emotional play for Kara's loyalty. And it's going to be probably between the strength and the love of the Danvers family and that team versus her Kryptonian heritage and the choice that she's going to have to make to stop the the onslaught of the Phantom Zone criminals by pledging her allegiance to Astra. That is my prediction for the season finale. So, Ooh, I think and it it's a cliffhanger. Good. Bump, bump, so, bump. if you're right, does that mean all of this is terrible spoilers? 
Spoilers. Only if you listen to this episode, which I hope you do, because <laughs> you really should. <laughs> well, for you guys, I wanted to give you an opportunity. Just any notes or anything about the show that, that stood out to you or you thought about or just quick things that we hadn't talked about before that you're like, oh, we, I love this or I didn't like this or, you know, this, this is the free-for-all area. I think for, for me, one thing I did notice about the show is – uh, it, it is a little rough in places with a few acting scenes, transitions, and dialogues. I think they're just, they tried to pack so much into the pilot episode, like Norm, you touched on, that uh, in some ways, as an audience member, you feel like you might get whiplash because you're like, wait, look, what's over there? Oh, look, the other way, this plot thing's happening. Ah, who's that? Oh, this is all very exciting. There's there's a lot going on, which is pretty cool, but at the same time, they go from Kara having no intention of ever using her powers, really, at this point, to Ban. She's Supergirl, she's been on several missions, she's found an agency that's going to support her, she has a support group, it's it's all really fast, so I really want to see... I want to see all of this fleshed out, just everything. Mm. <laughs> I think we had a really good opportunity here for this to have been a little bit longer as a pilot, just to give the audience a moment to breathe in between scenes. Because if I'm going to be critical about this this pilot, and I don't want to be because I actually do really love what happened in the pilot, they are trusting the fact in many scenes and in many references that the audience understands the legacy of the of the Superman mythology. Because when she's flying, she gets hit by kryptonite darts. You need to understand what kryptonite is for you to understand what happened to her. And then there are just references to a lot of things that happened in both the Christopher Reeve series and the Henry Cavill Man of Steel series where you need to know certain specifics in order to let the storytelling gloss over you the way it needed to be at that pace. That being said because they have to fit so much information in an hour, I think they did a really good job at making sure that those points made sense with very quick dialogue. Like Hank Henshaw said, little bits of your planet that make you feel bad. We're in control of those. We just want to let you know. Fine, I get that. Um, But spiritually, I think that the major beats are there. And because I'm a designer and I look at everything from the props to the costumes to the set design, I found it really interesting when Superman was hand in hand with young Kara escorting her to the Danvers, you see a really good shot of his wrist. And the material that they used in the costume is the same material that she used in her costume. And it forgoes the detail on Henry Cavill's wrist from the Man of Steel costume. So where are we in terms of the universe? Are we in a multiverse part of the universe? Those are the things that kind of unsettle me as, a, as an audience member just because those are really nice bits of detail in the Kryptonian suit that Henry Cavill wears. I mean, they make it a big deal where you see the relief on all of this costume. Um, the yellow that's not in her S. The different subtleties in the S. It's the shield of L, but why is it different? So those are the things that kind of ring a little slightly false with me, but those are things that are just nitpicky 
from a, from a geeky fan and from a designer. And I can, I can live with those as long as the story's good, and which it is. And I can start picking at those. And then Melissa Benoist comes on screen and she does her adorably geeky thing with the smile with Jimmy Olsen. And I forget. I don't even know what I was talking about. James. <laughs> James. James Olsen. Yes, That's James Olsen. There, yeah. yeah. Oh, and one last thing. One last thing. The cape. The cape. Yeah, right? <laughs> the, cape, the, the cape at the end was a brilliant touchstone to tie it all together. Yeah, that was really nice. The The fact that he got, you know, James gives her the cape from her cousin and, uh, you know, it's indestructible. And yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. And actually that's... um. That's kind of a new 52 thing as well. Um, right now, Superman, the only thing he has left of his suit is torn up bits of his cape that are, that are, yeah, but that's a whole other thing. So I thought that was really nice. Um, you know, I, I really like in this show, I, I love that James is like, has anybody ever told you you kind of look like him? And he's, he's pointing around her eyes where she's got her glasses on and she's like, no, 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 nobody's ever, you know, and I saw nice, that's a fun, sly Superman reference. Um, the music at the beginning sounds a bit like the Man of Steel music when the planet is being destroyed. Uh, and so I liked that. I loved the, the fact that she has this joy in her powers and, and that it's okay to have her powers. I thought that was great. Um, and what was really interesting to me too, is just kind of one of the themes that I think is going to run throughout this show and is kind of the theme of the show. What do you do with your life when the mission that you thought you were going to be on, the, the path you were thought you were going to be on, doesn't pan out and you have to make a new plan? And that's what Kara's doing. And I think so many people, I mean, you think about all the millennials who get out of college and they have no idea where they're going to go. I, heck, I'm, in, I'm still in that boat, I feel like sometimes. It, it happens to all of us where we feel lost and discouraged as to where we're going to go next. And... I mean, we feel like we have to make it up on the fly. And, uh, ooh, that was a good pun. That was <laughs> a good pun. Yeah, I didn't even I mean to do that. that. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I I love that. that, that it, it, I just, I really like this show. I, I don't really have any, any nitpicks or anything, um, you know, other than the fact, and Norm, maybe you noticed this, why in the world does she have a $300 bottle of whiskey on her? You noticed that too? Yeah. <laughs> That bottle of whiskey is $300, my friends. Where does she get that kind of money? Slings a lot of coffee. Actually, there's one, one small thing, um, and I usually don't uh, make too much of a point of this, but because there's so much great diversity that's going on with these shows, and because they made it a point for, like, Hank Henshaw, you know, he's a man of color now. Jimmy Olsen's a man of... James Olsen is a man of color now. Um, being an Asian-American, uh, I would have liked to have seen some... Asian American representation in this re revisited cast. Uh, and, and maybe we will at some point, hopefully it's not a villain, but it could be. Uh, and because we have this opportunity now to be able to change the status quo and to be able to do it in a, in a realm of really good, responsible storytelling. So for me, you know, just to have kind of like, you know, to wave my flag, I'm like, Hey, you know, and, and not in a kind of like in a scientist Kung Fu master kind of way, you know, like someone who, you know, yeah. Maybe that's uh that just helps propel the story, um, and there's opportunity there, and and I hope that they um they see that and and are, and are responsible in that manner. I was thinking that it might be kind of cool if if we met some more characters from the DEO, 
and you could definitely add some different types of people into those roles, you know, uh, different people from different nationalities that would be really cool that because this would seem to be an organization where you would be recruiting people from all over the world right. to work with you. Uh, so yeah, I, I really, I agree with you, Norm. I think that would be a, gr a great opportunity uh, for the show. And so, okay, well, uh, they're really, I, when I think of all the things that we didn't talk about, uh, there's a lot. But I, I wanted to go ahead and, and kind of wrap things up and, and kind of get what your ratings are for this pilot and, you know, um, how excited then are you for the season, the whole season? Bethany? I'm quite excited for the rest of the season. I, I mean, I, I mentioned my few nitpicks with it, but I, I expect that it'll, it'll uh, hammer itself into an even better show than it already is. Uh, which will be an exciting process to watch for sure. And I, I just really look forward to watching these characters that have in one episode already started worming their way into my heart. So I, I think it'll be a fun season. I, I think, do you guys do like a one out of 10 type rating? Or? Sure. That works. Okay. I, I'd give this a seven out of 10, which is really strong for a TV pilot. What about you, Norm? Yeah, you know, I mean, we talk about the uh, the pilot itself and the trailer earlier on uh, pretty much at length. And I think it's no secret that I'm a huge fan of of this, the, the Superman, Supergirl, Super People franchise. And these two characters, especially when they make sure that the message is a message of hope and positivity. And no matter how supernaturally indestructible or strong that you are, you still have a responsibility for these powers to the people that you are sworn to protect or that you are obliged to protect because of the mission that you're on. It always brings me back to probably one of my most favorite lines of any movie ever, regardless of whether it's not a superhero movie. And it's when Clark Kent said to Ma Kent in Superman 1, all the things I could do and all of these powers and I couldn't even save him. That's how you know that somebody who has the powers of any type of God has the ability to understand the responsibility of those powers and what he's supposed to do and what he's supposed to bring. And in this case, who she is and what she is supposed to bring to this equation as Kara and as Supergirl. I think they really made a point of letting the audience know and understand that in the pilot and I think this is one of the more successful pilots that I have seen in recent years, probably in the last maybe seven to 10 years. Um, I think that it was done with a lot of heart and a lot of respect to the franchise, but at the same time, I think that they were fearless in trying to carve out an identity of their own. And for that, I think that this is going to be a great season. I think that if people get hung up on the details where they shouldn't get hung up, I think they're looking at it for the wrong reason. I think you should look at it in a different way. And I think you should look at it as a message of positivity and a message of empowerment. And, and this is, for, again, this is coming from somebody who doesn't really have that kind of skin in the game, but there is always room in this world for positive storytelling. There's so much out there that is negative and there are so many few choices that are actually really positive. Get behind those choices and make them stick because then they perpetuate more choices. And for that, 
I will give this nine and a half out of 10 Kryptonian kryptonite filled darts. <laughs> Jeez. Dangerous rating there, folks. Be careful. I hope you're not Kryptonian. See, it's, um, it's positive with a slight amount of trepidation. <laughs> yeah. We're not quite sure if we can trust her yet. So, right. yeah. I I just, I really like this pilot. Um, I like this show. I, I, I came into it thinking I would, pretty much knowing I would, and watching it, I was vindicated by thinking that. And... I would encourage anyone who likes a good show, likes a good story, and wants something that is uplifting and is hopeful, you know, like I think we've talked about The the Flash, this show really has that. And, you know, traditionally in the Superman mythos, uh, for some of it, the shield, it means hope. And I think that this show is just oozing hope in so many different ways. And it's portraying a place of hope for for girls and, as Melissa said, on Colbert, for everyone. That's what's great about this show. It is for freaking everyone. And I, I think and I applaud them for creating a show that we can all celebrate together that could be appointment television for families Uh, I think that's awesome and so for me this is I'm going to give this eight and a half shields of L uh, because yeah this is uh this is a really really solid pilot obviously it's a pilot and I agree with both of you I think we could probably have done a two-hour episode or maybe an hour-and-a-half episode, and that would have been really helpful uh, just to kind of let some things breathe, give us a little bit more time with Kara and her sister, her family, all of those things. But on a whole, this is this is going to be an awesome show, and I welcome it to the family of, you know, Arrow, Flash, and, you know, we got Legends of Tomorrow coming, and now we have Supergirl, and... I think it's something that we can all be excited for. So I love getting to do this show and I love getting to talk about things that I'm passionate about and I love when they're good. So I'm so glad that it turned out to be good for us. Um, I hope that you will continue to listen to the network. Check us out. Uh, You can find us all over the place. If you are uh looking for podcasts on iTunes, hit us up at itunes.com slash trekfm. You can find all our shows there. Help us out. It, it really helps us out if you do hit the subscribe button. And give us a star rating and review. Those things from the listeners mean so much to us. One, they help us know how we're doing with the show and how you, what you think of the show. But also it helps in those strange rating system that they have, it really does make the show more visible. So I really appreciate all of you who have gone and done that. Um, We have the two different feeds now, the Star Wars feed and, of course, the main 602 Club feed. So uh, reviews and ratings on both are really uh, appreciated. And, uh, of course, right now, if you review and rate on the 602 Club Star Wars feed, you can be entered to win your own apprentice and master that's right anakin or darth vader and ahsoka two pack so it could be yours um, we'll pick that winner out in december so looking to to get some more reviews there guess what though 
If you don't use Apple, that's fine. We've got Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course on the website at trek.fm, you can download the MP3 file and grab the RSS link as well. I want to thank... We have two associate producers now here on the 602 Club through Patreon. So excited. Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson. Thank you guys so much for your support through Patreon. Uh, Patreon is the way that listeners can help keep this content coming to each week. We, you notice we don't do ads or anything like that. It's because we have listeners, amazing listeners like you that support us through Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can find out the ways that you can become part of the family and help us bring this content to you each week. Uh, don't forget that we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. We're on Twitter at trekfm. If you want to leave us a voicemail, I'd love to hear from you. Go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm or any sidebar on the show pages. You can use a, to leave a message that way through your computer. And just send me an email. We'd lo- I'd love to hear from you at trek.fm slash contact and just choose the 602 Club and that'll come to me. Wow. Uh, talking this all night has has been brilliant uh and both of you have amazing podcasts so bethany tell everybody where they can find you online and of course about uh, the star wars reports that you and your brother riley uh, started years ago now you guys have been going for a really long time and of course i know you guys are excited because we're working our way to the force awakens oh yes very excited i think everyone in the star wars fan community right now is terribly excited for the force awakens so it's it's what you do, you know, you stay up and record three podcasts on the night that it happens and buy tickets immediately. But uh, me and my brother and good friend Mark Herlman, we started the Star Wars Report website and podcast years ago, and it has really uh, blossomed into a community of like-minded fans and friends who, we all love Star Wars, we like to be positive about it. And we like hanging out at conventions and whatnot. So you can find us at StarWarsReport.com. And we have the Star Wars Report podcast, but we also have a number of other Star Wars podcasts, too. So check those out. And uh, I am on Twitter at Bethany L. Blanton. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for being on with us tonight again. Thank you and, for having uh, me. I hope it was a lot of yeah. fun. We'll come back anytime because uh, Ruby likes when other ladies come by and hang out. So <laughs> All right. Will do. <laughs> Norm? Tell everybody where they can find you. Well, first, I wanted to say thank you again, Bethany. It was a pleasure to be on the podcast with you for the first time. I hope we get a chance to do this again, hopefully with Flash and a year down the line when we talk about the uh, my predictions of Supergirl, which I hope come true. <laughs> and, um, and thanks so much for uh, all the hard work that you do on your Star Wars podcasts because I think it's great that um, the Star Wars community is getting a fresh um, a new approach um, from just a whole new generation of fans. I think that's really important uh, for all of fandom. Well, thank you, um, and it's great to, to meet you, I say with air quotes. Yeah. See you and speak okay. with you, but just not in person. <laughs> soon enough, soon enough. Some, somewhere along the lines, we'll, we'll all hang out at some type of Trek FM convention that we'll throw uh, with a massive amount of nice. dollars that we're going to generate from Patreon from all of oh, our yeah. listeners. Oh, yeah, there you go. Right? <laughs> that's the goal, <laughs> Trek FM convention. That's right, that's all right. All right. Um, uh, but until then, uh, you can find me here on the network as uh, one of the hosts for Warp 5, along with Will Wynn, who is also our content coordinator. And at the beginning of the year, 2016, uh, I will have the privilege of taking over the standard orbit 
uh, podcast for Warp, uh, for Trek FM um, that will be talking about all the stuff with the original series and all of the. Uh, I get like really a little choked up about it because I'm so excited to do Standard Orbit. The original series is is what brought me to the dance. It's the show that means uh, probably more to me than any other show out there or any other fandom out there. So I'm really excited and incredibly fortunate to have been given that opportunity to do that uh, with Jeffrey Harlan, who's also a guest on Warp 5. You can also find me uh, over the network uh, on the Babel Conference uh, and... That's on Facebook, and if you type B-A-B-E-L in your Facebook search, you can find the Babel Conference. That's the Trek FM dedicated Facebook listeners page. And you can find me on Twitter, that's Norman Lau, that's N-O-R-M-A-N-L-A-O. And you can find me on the Axonar fan group page on Facebook, the Alec Peters Star Trek Independent Fan Film Project. And you can find me here on the network as one of the executive producers for Trek FM. Well, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me on Instagram at MRushing. I do The Orb with Christopher Jones talking about Deep Space Nine, and I'm on Literary Treks with Dan talking about the books and the comics of Star Trek, as well as interviewing the authors and talking about all their latest works in Star Trek literature. And you can also find me on my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? But I can make an explosion. This is my fight song. Take back my life song. Prove I'm alright song. My power's turned up. So right now I'll be strong. I'll be my fight song. And I don't I've still got a lot of fire left